Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, and welcome to Not So Linear, a podcast that's here to help normalise conversation around grief and help you feel less alone in your own journey. I'm your host, Tamsin, and each week I'll be interviewing some amazingly strong people who share their own stories on how they've navigated life after loss. But don't worry, we'll talk plenty about finding happiness, what inspires us and helps us to grow. And whilst none of our journeys are so linear, what we do know is that it's better to get through it together. Hey everyone, welcome back to what is now episode 8 of season 1. Feeling pretty happy today as tomorrow is the start of the long Easter weekend and I have very few plans. Probably just going to do a little bit of catching up with friends, spending some time at the beach. Weather's looking pretty nice here in Sydney this weekend and hopefully eating some Easter egg chocolate. Although it's never quite as exciting as when you get it back at home in the UK because the chocolate is just not as good here. Sorry to any of my Aussie listeners, but it's just the truth. Some of you may also have seen I posted on my Instagram yesterday about the impact of alcohol on anxiety and I'm so pleased that this weekend I have zero hangover inducing events so it should be a good one all round. So going back to today's episode which is called how can I process my complicated grief and it's another one that focuses on my personal journey. I chat with Dr Chloe who is a chartered counselling psychologist who specialises in helping people through traumatic loss and grief. She believes that with the right support, people can overcome unthinkable pain through self-compassion. And we discuss her clinical and academic background, what complicated grief is, and particularly for me, as I kind of see it as layers of loss. You know, I'd lost my mum to a mental health condition and then, you know, she actually passed away. So I have two different types that I'm trying to work through. Secondly, what symptoms that creates and the frameworks and ideas around that to help resolve some of the grief and like understand why I feel that way and and how I can be more at ease or more at peace with those thoughts. We do also go a little bit into my mum's mental health condition and we just talk generally about mental health um, as a whole and what it's like in society. And then we move on to the topic of anxiety, something that I and other people around me, especially in the grief community, experience We're not in control of what's happened in our life, so anxiety is exacerbated into our futures. She gives us some coping mechanisms that we can try, and honestly, Dr. Chloe is full of so much knowledge. I was kind of laughing to myself before because I need to do a soundbite clip for when I launch it tomorrow, and I can't even pick which quote to use because she just literally fills the episode with so many. But I guess one learning piece to tell you through before we go into the episode is... She says to me, we cannot control unpredictable life events, but what we can control is how we respond to them. And she gets me to think, what story is it that I'm telling myself about my grief and loss? And am I telling myself the right one? So guys, I learned so much from this episode and I encourage you to give her a follow as she posts many helpful tips across her Instagram. I've put her details in the show notes, so make sure you do um, check her out. She's really interesting. She also does many webinars too. Also, make sure you do subscribe and if you listen on Apple, please leave a review because it makes it much easier for others to find my podcast as well. Hope you guys enjoy and as always, please feel free to reach out.
So, hey, Chloe, thank you so much for joining. Hi, Tamsin. Thank you for inviting me. It's really good to be here today. So the reason why I reached out to you is because I know you do so much work around grief and trauma, particularly as you are a psychologist in this area. So I thought it would be really helpful for the listeners to hear about you and and how you've come to this field of work. Yeah, thank you. So I've been doing this for about 22 years and I've, I've kind of been passionate about raising awareness and supporting people with grief because of some of my own personal difficulties with grief. When I was very young, a dear friend lost her sister really, really tragically and very violently and completely dramatically. And it was a very strange time for me because we were we were very good friends and I was 16 and, and I, f- I felt absolutely traumatised, I guess, in some way with, with what had happened, but didn't feel it was my grief. It didn't happen to, to my sister or to a person that I was particularly close to. So watching that unfold and the rippling effect really led me to connect, I guess, with what it is like to to suffer a devastating loss. And from that then on, you know, I went on and I, I studied psychology and I ended up working in the BBC for a number of years as an organisational learning and development person. And during my time there, I was lucky enough to really be asked to understand what is post-traumatic stress disorder and why are really highly functioning, highly resilient, very kind of um, together, I guess, individuals struggling to deal with some events of what it's like to work in a hostile environment or lose a colleague suddenly. And I became a qualified in dealing with trauma and became a debriefer, which really kind of introduced to me the idea of how important it is to find meaning in suffering. And the more I did that, the more I thought, I want to do this long term. And off I went and I did my PhD and I became a clinician, did my PhD in traumatic loss and interviewed a number of people on kind of understanding what the lived experience of suffering a complicated grief like that is. And there were a lot of things that seem to kind of resonate with with a lot of people. So that's what I do. I do a lot of work running a private clinic, offering one-to-one therapy. I do a lot of webinars and I'm really, really hoping to make a little contribution, you know, just a little one. Do you feel like there's not enough conversation around grief and trauma just in everyday life? I think it's avoided. I think, you know, I don't judge people for it because people are quite worried about either re-traumatizing or saying something that might be upsetting or intruding or just feeling ill-equipped to deal with it when a very traumatic event has happened or a very distressing loss has happened. People, I think, have the compulsion to fix it, to stop your suffering from taking hold of you and inadvertently kind of avoid it, which of course makes it much more painful and much more isolating and devastating for the bereaved person. But when I did my PhD, which was you know, a long time ago now, and I'd mention it at a dinner table, everybody would say so, like, oh, right, mm-hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But I, I think we do need to talk about it. We need to normalise it. We need to raise awareness. We need to explain the kind of the physical, mental, emotional and spiritual impact it has on people and make it okay for people to be vulnerable with it, you know, to be lost with it, to, to need support with it. Completely normal. Well, the way I describe my experiences, I think I went through grief almost twice and to like traumatic events because Mm. the first one was my mum having mental health issues and kind of neglecting me and my siblings Mm. we didn't see her or talk to her for over two years and at that time we didn't really speak about mental health then I know it was only 10 years ago but I had no idea what that really was 
and I think generally the society didn't and I always thought my mum was neglecting me I didn't think that there was anything wrong with her so that was the first grief I had not having my mum there being almost like a motherless daughter but then the second grief which came much later in my life was you know she died when I was 18 but it only suddenly hit me when I was probably in my mid-20s so I've kind of self-diagnosed myself with complicated grief and I wondered if you'd be able to talk me through what complicated grief is and why you think that there are people that deal with things in in different ways like how can I understand myself and how my grief came about so late okay I, I, that's a really good question and I'm, I'm sorry you you you've been through that it sounds very very painful when you lose somebody in the way that you did so you have layers of loss you lost her while she was still still alive and then you you lost her physically when she passed I, th- I think the impact of that loss is really really profound so when we lose somebody we are attached to whether it's a positive attachment or a, or a negative attachment it's still a rupture it's still a kind of disruption in your internal world so what tends to happen is it impacts the whole of you so your sense of who you are your sense of who your significant others are your sense of what it is to be alive where you draw meaning from what your loving connections are like you know everything is in some way reconstituted you have to figure it out almost as though you're having to start from scratch again and it's a very frightening intense disorientating experience and whenever I work with people who have gone through a complicated grief like you they talk about this sense of feeling very alienated not only from kind of the normal you know in inverted commas world but also from themselves from what it is to be me how is this how who am I now how do I make sense of it and because we're kind of conscious meaning seeking beings when you lose yourself like that It really depends on what story you're telling yourself about what has happened and where you anchor yourself in that. And when you're 18, you know, you're you're just a kid. It's an awful lot to have to try and make sense of. So what we tend to do is go into function mode, survival mode, compartmentalize, explain what has happened, but not necessarily process it and leave it to a time where we feel a little bit more resourced or where we have a little bit more psychological reserve and when you're dealing with grief a complicated grief it really takes an awful lot of energy and courage to trust to go into it you can get that continual kind of profound sense of the world no longer making sense to you I felt like a lot of my grief at that time where it came about in my mid-twenties was because I had more time and I'd grown up and started to process my emotions a lot more. I think it was almost to the point where I had started to open up my mind to what had actually happened and I delved in a bit too deep and I was thinking to the very like last detail of what was it like when my mum was by herself and what was her mental health condition like and I got myself in quite a bad place because not only did I feel guilt I felt like I didn't deserve for any of that to happen and neither did my siblings and you start to then go through that anger process too. Yeah, I think a lot of people find having a a sense of the the grief process being a a stages of emotional experiences very, very useful. But when you go through a complicated grief, there is no such thing as going through it in a linear fashion. Actually, there's no way of going through grief in a linear fashion anyway. So people dip in and out of all the different stages and feeling angry, feeling rage, feeling guilt, feeling despair, feeling fear, feeling anxiety, feeling kind of absurdity feeling meaninglessness, all those things are very normal responses to 
an abnormal, in inverted commas, event. The thing that regulates us, if you like, or that anchors us and calms us down is not only finding kind of the space for internal self-care and compassion, but also understanding where you draw meaningful connections, where you can create meaningful connections with who and with what kind of life projects and what does that mean about you expressing who you really are, what you've learned. I mean, the thing I really am always humbled by is people's capacity to turn their suffering into purpose, into something meaningful. And there's never going to be a time where you're going to feel happy with what happened between you and your mum or okay with what happened. But what you might be able to do, which I, I feel you're doing already, even though I've just met you, is turn it round to consider what you can learn from it and what you can give to the world to help others through your own suffering, through your own internal pain. You know, and that's a really big yeah. deal. That's really inspiring and really kind of creates momentum and creativity and helping yourself as well as other people. And I think that's what people do when they go through difficult pain, difficult loss. Not everybody can sort of feel like they've got the momentum for that. So I think having that reserve or having that support, because there is something like psychological overload, I think that happens when you have to deal with a profound loss. And you just have to get through it day by day, one, sometimes even just an hour at a time. And the thing with grief is that it's it's never constant and it's never just fixed. You know, it's up and down and you'll have good days and really bad days. And the trick, I think, is to take time to notice it, to take time to pay attention to what it's calling you, you know, what sense you can make of it, what you need to do. And I, th I think therapy works because that's what it offers. It offers a space to check in and tune in. I always feel like there's more layers to peel back. I've done therapy maybe two or three times, as in bouts of time, not just like two or three sessions. Like I would have gone for a couple of months or whatever. Mm. And I still feel I could go back. I feel like as you grow through different life events and time goes by, you mm. look at your grief and your journey in many different ways. Mm. And there'll be things that maybe you've not experienced before or that you've not uncovered. I definitely am open to going through that again. Yeah. and seeing how how my thoughts have changed as time has gone by yeah i think it's really when you when you suffer a complicated grief like yours you're left with a lot of unfinished business aren't you a lot of things that you can't resolve with with her and that i think can be can be layered and keeps turning up as you mature in life, as you progress in life. An idea I find that can be really, really helpful, which isn't my idea. It's it's an idea that I, I read about in a brilliant book by Desmond Tutu and his daughter, which is there are certain things, certain actions that people have done that feel unforgivable, and that's okay. You never have to forgive them if they if those actions have caused you pain or have caused you harm, and that, that's human. But what you can do is forgive the confused human being that it lies behind the actions that hurt you. And in that way, kind of release yourself from that suffering, from that sense of I'm stuck with this and this is never going to end. I think my trauma did cause me to have a lot of uncertainty in what direction I was going in, who I wanted to be, what my purpose in life was. I always felt like I just never knew what I wanted. And I was always chopping and changing between ideas and relationships and where I wanted to live and what I wanted to do. Is that something that's quite common? Yes. And I appreciate you being open and sharing that because I think it'll help lots of people. Yeah, definitely. It's very common because one of the things that you kind of people talk about in grief is 
finding a way to have a continuing bond with a person you've lost. That's what people talk about because we assume that, you know, there's always love or that the ending has been a good one, that you've had an opportunity to not live with all the kind of potential unfinished business or hurtful things that have been said and done. If it's not safe or psychologically safe to maintain that ongoing bond, where does that leave you? How do you make sense of who you are now? So going through those sort of spins and feeling alone and feeling uncertain and feeling disorientating, I think is a very, very normal response. And what I help people do in, in therapy when they come to my sessions is start within yourself. So you can't control what happened outside of you. You can't control, you didn't get to choose what happened to to your loved one or how they behaved or how they died but you can choose how you respond to it and the most important thing I I don't want to be sounding dogmatic but I've I've noticed and I've looked at all the research the most important thing is to be able to generate compassion within yourself as a way of anchoring yourself as a way of looking after yourself and starting from within when you do that then you can start to grow roots you know you can start to find your meaning but sometimes we're not in self-control are we you know I think that could have been the country like the contributor to how I felt when I was like this about two and a half years ago before I moved to Australia I was in a pretty low place um I felt like I was stuck in a rut and again didn't know what direction I wanted to take and I think I was in self-destruction mode Mm. everything I just thought was bad and I didn't really want to do anything but And I'm not saying that moving to Australia was a good thing because I could have tried to resolve my issues in other ways. But actually by moving here, it did put me into a position where I had to be outgoing and have fun and meet all my friends and do nice new things. Mm -hmm. And I think by giving myself that happiness and a bit of love back in there again, it did help to resolve some of that self-destruction that I felt. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really powerful. There is, it's really interesting when you start looking at the, the neurological research that's coming out, when we feel a negatively charged emotion, the only thing that reduces that charge, irrespective of what's caused that emotion, the only thing that reduces that charge is receiving compassion. Empathy and compassion are incredibly healing. And sometimes when devastating events have happened, we, we lose our sense of who we are. We lose our kind of meaning in life and we, we feel so abandoned. We feel so almost dehumanized in some way that that energy gets so big and starts to go inwards. And I think people who are listening to this and are coping with a complicated grief, you know, think about there's a really big difference between experiencing a negative emotion and finding a safe way to express it. Because I I promise you, when you find a compassionate way to connect, tune in and express what your internal world is like, you move through it. You move through it and you recreate yourself. And I love that expression that wonderful lady Dr. Edith Egger has shared with us, who's a psychotherapist and psychologist in America. Um, She says recovery is about discovery discovering who how you're going to love yourself how you're going to give yourself permission to have a a, a beautiful meaningful life and I think that's really powerful it's a really nice way to put it and I think maybe that is what I kind of did I've put pushed myself out there and started using what I found something really painful to be something that could actually be 
quite nice and quite happy. You know, all these people I've met, I set up a grief group last um, June in Sydney. I've met so many girls in a similar position to me where their mums had mental health problems and then they passed away. So they have unresolved, complicated grief. And I know this episode is also going to really help them because like me, we find it so hard to celebrate those days. We almost feel isolated from other grievers because we see so many grievers saying how much they love and miss their parents or that person they lost. But for me and other people that have gone through a similar traumatic experience, I can't do that yet. I don't know how to connect. Is that something that you talk with your clients sometimes? I think people respond to their losses very personally. So no two people will experience grieving in exactly the same way. So my my headline, if you like, is however your grief turns up is valid and acceptable and good enough. So there's no right or wrong here. What I've noticed kind of anecdotally from the work that I've been doing all these years is that when a bond has been abusive or there's been neglect or there's been a lot of hurt, when you lose that person, you're not, you might not actually feel grief. You might not feel sadness. You might actually feel relieved or you might feel like, okay, good. That's over now. So a sense of calm, a sense of maybe just nothingness. So I think expecting yourself to suddenly kind of connect and miss a negative attachment is too much. It's not giving yourself compassion. It's not giving yourself that kind of space to be authentic with what it's been like for you. So I do think sometimes people end up in therapy with me worried that there's something wrong with them because they haven't had a, a, a normal and inverted commas sadness, their grief. And actually that's okay. You know, it's completely okay. I would like to get to the point where I could maybe, you know, on Mother's Day or my mum's birthday, like celebrate it. But I, and I think my brother and sister and I want to try and think of the happy memories that we had before mm. she started having these issues, because then that will help us going forward as well. It's just breaking down those barriers, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think also there's something about validating the pain that you suffered as a result of your mother's mental health illness that did some hurt to you that was wounding and maybe there's still a little bit of work for you to do on kind of releasing yeah. yourself from it and moving through it and that's okay. yeah you will do that when the time is is right I think to something maybe to consider for you Tamsin is if you can connect to the humanity to the human being that was your mother poor mental health happened to her not by her and I, I know mm. 10 years ago, nobody spoke about m- mental illness. It was a total taboo. Now things are a little bit different. But still, you know, when you're in the grips of a, of a destructive mental health illness, you know, you really need a lot of support and a lot of guidance and a lot of kind of all the right ingredients to navigate your way through it. So what I'm trying to say is, as I was saying earlier, you don't need to forgive the pain that was caused, but you can forgive or be compassionate to the human being that suffered those negative emotions of mental health. I think that can be really helpful. Maybe what could help me is if I try to understand her mental health disorder a bit more, because all I know is that she was diagnosed with delusional disorder. I didn't see her in that time. Mm-hmm. In the few years before when I did see her, I can definitely tell she was changing and becoming somebody else that wasn't the mum I knew. Mm-hmm. But I can't relate. I've never met anybody with delusional, mm-hmm. delusional disorder. So to me, it almost doesn't seem like that's my mum. And maybe something for me to take away is to... Mm-hmm. Learn a bit more about it so I can say to myself, it wasn't my mum's fault. Yeah. She had yeah. a disorder. It's really unlikely that your your mother created this for herself. It would have been something that happened to her. She might have contributed to it 
in some way by making difficult life choices or negative life choices, but it would have happened to her, not necessarily by her. So yeah, I totally agree. Understanding what delusional disorder is and what might have contributed to her developing that condition would give you a framework for uh, releasing yourself from feeling that this is evidence of your own value because that's the painful thing when we're children. We want our mothers to be there for us and to love us unconditionally. And if they can't express that because of who knows what, all sorts of barriers in the way, you end up building this sense that you've been abandoned, that you don't matter, that you're not lovable. If your own mother's not there for you, then who's going to be there for you? You know, there's a lot to kind of, you know, wade through, which is pretty devastating stuff. Yeah, I think you summarise how I felt. (laughs) That's definitely how I felt at the time. Much neglect. Terrible. It's so sad, isn't it? So sad. And when you are young, you know, you can't look at this with an adult's mind. You can only look at it through the lens of being innocent and being young you know we all take our cue yeah. from our carers so if we if we exactly. if we receive a message that we don't matter then we believe it you know it's really really difficult to find the courage to sort of step beyond that very very sad isn't it mental illness is a is a horrible thing as you know but yeah so and it's something that we still need to learn more about we do talk a lot more about it these days but it's often more like the more common things like anxiety and depression force are still terrible but about really psychological issues like delusional disorder what yeah i think you're right there really is and we sort of don't don't want to engage with it you know we sort of block it out of our awareness don't we and the thing with delusional disorder there's all sorts of things that could contribute to it it could be substance abuse it could be drug abuse it could be chronic kind of stress, chronic kind of dealing with anxiety or some sort of difficult mental health condition. Uh, sometimes depression can become paranoid depression, sometimes hormonal imbalances and deficiencies. Sometimes women who go into the menopause develop quite strong tendencies, from, not always, obviously, but, you know, quite often. It, yeah. Sometimes medication, like if you're on chronic and uh, psychiatric medication, you know, so there's many things that would have contributed to that and sometimes it's a deterioration of the nervous system so what happens and why you know the more awareness you can have the better armed you will feel to make sense of it because this uh, the feeling I get is that there's a lot of unanswered questions for you still and I think by digging deeper into understanding how my mum delusional disorder could have come about or what that meant for her Mm. that will help me maybe like you said bring a bit of a framework to help me understand and heal a bit more in that area another thing I wanted to ask you about is myself and my sister really do struggle with anxiety at times because as you know when you go through a traumatic event Mm. it's so out of your control Mm. that going forward in life you want to be in control of everything because you don't want it to ever go wrong again it's very very human and I think we have pathologized anxiety and we have we we sort of medicate anxiety and see it as a bad thing but actually it's your unconscious trying to tell you that it it wants to do everything it can to keep you safe and it's probably scanning and being vigilant and sort of reminding you that you've just you've just got to do what you can to control your environment so it's a very normal response to any traumatic event to feel anxiety but what I always help clients do is make peace with it make friends with it so if your anxiety could jump out of your body and talk to you what's it really trying to tell you about you about your potential for finding meaning, for finding purpose, for feeling fulfilled and being happy? Is it turning up as a friend 
and looking out for you? Is there a meaningful lesson in there for you? Or is it just a conditioned response that you can say, okay, thanks very much. I got it. I'm okay now. And there are lots of strategies that you could use. I'm really happy to share some if you want for your listeners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Normalize anxiety and think about what gives you a sense of being anchored in you and feeling safe and good enough without and as I was saying earlier you can't control what's happening outside of you ever I don't know what's going to happen in the next half an hour nobody does so and I'm not going to I don't even know how I'm going to feel in the next half an hour you know nobody does we can't predict the future in that respect all we can control is how we respond and I think having values and feeling that you're honoring your dignity your values your purpose finding your courage you know all these things can be really really useful in navigating anxiety and strategies for anxiety there are loads there are loads I think the simplest one is slowing down your breathing and breathing into the count of four and breathing out to the count of six but doing that for at least three minutes will regulate your autonomic nervous system and will stop that production of the stress hormone which is basically what your anxiety is if you can breathe from your belly button that activates the vagus nerve and actually slows you calms you down even more gives you that sense that you're arriving for yourself now an exercise i really love to do when i'm feeling anxious is if i can go outside in the garden or somewhere really nice and quiet either in a room where in my cone of silence or side in the garden where there are some beautiful kind of you know trees and birds singing whatever works for you do that breathing exercise and with every breath in breathe in something really beautiful like light or love or care positive energy anything that that speaks to you to your soul and then when you breathe out you breathe out toxic feelings anxiety fear you just sort of breathe it breathe it out and I think that can be really really helpful because I sometimes get that really heavy feeling in my chest so is by breathing will that help that Mm -hmm. absolutely what when you get that heavy feeling in your chest that is what's happening is your vital flight system is activated so your unconscious is looking for risk and it's trying to protect you your system is flooded with the stress hormones so you'd get adrenaline noradrenaline and you get that sort of wired and fat and tired feeling And that you start to feel the constricted uh, sort of chest, you might get clammy hands, you might feel a bit dizzy, you might feel sick, you know, there's lots and lots of symptoms that come with that. So lowering down your breathing forces your nervous system to accept that you're not under threat. And as soon as it receives that message, it lines up to it. Your unconscious will never fight with your conscious, so ever, because you can't have an unconscious yeah. say, no, we're not doing that today, I'm going my own way. You know, it always does what you tell it to do. So if you force it to calm down, it will stop producing the stress hormone. It really helps, and you have to do it for three minutes. People say, oh, I'm going to time for breathing. Just three minutes is long enough to kind of literally do that. You can almost feel it in your body, you know, sort of like just calming down. Well, thank you so much for talking me through that. It's honestly, I've learned so much, particularly you know, when you talk to somebody like you, who's a specialist in this area, really helps me to kind of go, okay, what is it now I need to learn? What new areas do I need to unpick to get through further and further? Give yourself permission to, to author a story about your life and about your loss that is meaningful to you. I, mean, I really appreciate you welcoming me onto your podcast. It's a brilliant thing you're doing. Thank you. It's okay. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Is there anything that you'd like to talk to them about in terms of from your side and what you're doing? 
If people want to connect with me, I do a lot of webinars. I write a blog. I post on Instagram uh, material to kind of help people process grief, either traumatic grief or complicated grief or anticipatory grief or if they're coping with other losses. I you know, value, value their connection. Thank you so much for listening to the Not So Linear podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review across Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Thank you.